I love these days after Christmas more and more the older I get when the pace slows down a little bit and the long conversations that are possible because we aren't in such a rush. Long conversations about what is so about life and what is happening in our world. Long conversations with people who have lived long enough to gain some wisdom and to share with me what they know about what is important in life. And of course, those long conversations always point out to me who is missing in my family now, my saints, um, with collective unbelievable quantities of wisdom aren't around now to speak into my life, but I remember their example so I'm hoping that you've had some of those long, lazy conversations as well in recent days. Thinking about how we evolve in terms of wisdom uh, caused me to think about a role Jimmy Stewart played many, many years ago. And I know you think we're going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. And I have to say, George Bailey gains a lot of wisdom through the span of that movie. He learned some things. Uh, realizes what he has taken for granted. So there's wisdom there as well. But I'm thinking about the part of Charlie Anderson that Jimmy Stewart played in the movie Shenandoah. Uh, wouldn't it be dazzling now if, if I reveal to you all that I can do an impeccable Jimmy Stewart impersonation? But I can't. I can't do that. So if you remember the movie, uh, the, it's right as the Civil War is beginning and his farm is strategically located to be right in the middle of the battle. He is a widower with a large family and he doesn't want any part of that war. Early in the movie, we get a sense of who Charlie is because the whole family is gathered for a big meal, long table, multiple generations around the table. Charlie's late wife, Martha, was a spiritual hub of the family. She's no longer with them. So Charlie's trying his best to uh, do those things that were important to Martha. He tells the kids to bow their heads, to remove their hats and he is going to bless the food. And we know a lot about Charlie by listening to his prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. And then we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. Little, little ways to go in the gratitude department, but uh, we, will, we will see Charlie growing and changing across the movie. Not long after that meal, a neighbor who was now a Confederate uh, soldier came by, and he wanted to know why Charlie hadn't encouraged his older sons to enlist, and when it was that Charlie was actually going to take this war seriously. And here's what Charlie said to him. Now let me tell you something, Johnson, before you get on my wrong side. My corn I take seriously because it's mine, and my potatoes and my tomatoes and my fence I take note of because they're mine, but this war is not mine, and I don't take note of it.
of course, living where he is, he's not going to be able to stay independent and uninvolved. The war consumes his farm. Three children are lost. By the end of the movie, a son is missing in action. And Charlie is much wiser. But the wisdom has come at a terrible cost. He has lost his confidence stride at the end of the movie when we see him going out to where Martha is buried so he can have a talk with his best friend. I don't even know what to say to you anymore, Martha, he says. There's not much I can tell you about this war. It's like all wars, I guess. The undertakers are winning and the politicians who talk about the glory of it and the old who talk about the need for it. But the soldiers, well, they just want to go home. But I wish, I wish I could just know what you're thinking about it all, Martha. And maybe it wouldn't seem so bad to me if I knew what you thought about it. Charlie takes a breath, and as he does, he can hear church bells ringing in the distance. He looks back up towards Martha and he says, you never give up, do you, Martha? <laughs> Throughout the movie, we see Charlie in a state of longing, longing for the peace that was lost, longing for the rhythm of his life before, longing for the children who are no longer there, longing for Martha, longing for God to set the world right again. In our scripture today, we have another demonstration of longing. It is Simeon, who has waited across a lifetime for God's promise of a Messiah. As scripture says, God's promised revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Simeon's own people. In the Bible, the idea of consolation is comfort that comes after or in the wake of loss or disappointment. Comfort that God provides because something has been taken away. But it's interesting that the word that Luke uses in telling this story can also mean ready to receive. When the people were ready to receive, the Messiah came. Simeon's eager, not exhausted by his waiting. He has remained hopeful because the Spirit has revealed to him that this Messiah promise will be kept in the time of Simeon's own life on earth. Luke is telling us that Simeon has been counting the days with active anticipation, kind of like a child waiting for Christmas morning or a couple waiting for a baby or a teacher waiting for the Christmas break. But let's take just one detour here. I discovered this week that Simeon's name comes from a word that means to hear intelligently. Maybe that's how Simeon came to rely on the Holy Spirit. He was listening intelligently. He'd been a faithful student, listening with patience, listening with curiosity, keeping his heart open acting on what he learned. Simeon, in other words, knew how to wait well. And through the waiting, God had his enlarged 
his understanding of God's plan. For Simeon, and I think for us as well, intelligent listening with the help of the Spirit allows us to differentiate between our own impulses, how we think things should be resolved, and what God is leading, where God is going. Think of all the times that you have someone special on your prayer list, and you have not only listed their name and what's going on with their life, but you know exactly how God should fix it. You know exactly what it should be. It's so tempting when we're passionate about something to assume that is God's plan and then to be surprised when it isn't. Intelligent listening allows us to step out in obedience aligned with what God is doing in the world. And because Simeon had developed that practice, he was ready the morning that the Spirit tapped him on the shoulder and said, get to the temple now. And when he got there, when he arrived, God kept his promise to Simeon. And that's the spot where Mary and Joseph were bringing their baby to be dedicated. Not only is Simeon ready to receive, but he's also more than willing to lay down his expectations about how this Messiah thing will play out. For generations, Simeon's people had been assuming it would be a military or political resolution, perhaps a revolt against the occupying forces, a new government in Rome, the declaration of a decisive victory in battle. They were so sure that that was the way God would keep God's promise. They refused to believe it when it came in the form of a baby. That wasn't what they were expecting. They would wait for something more logical. Fortunately, Simeon had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had taught him to pivot. Simeon had no problem recognizing in this tiny form God's promise. So he grabs the baby up and lifts the child to the sky as he looks toward God and says very simply, Master, now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Not a doubt at all that baby held what Simeon was waiting for. And there are tears on his cheeks as he kisses the baby on the forehead. As far as we know, the only non-family member to hold the baby Jesus. We don't have stories of anybody else. I love what writer and pastor Jeff Peabody says about this moment in scripture. I hope you can use your imagination to see what that would have looked like. Peabody writes, in that act, Simeon provided a striking visual, not just meeting Jesus, but receiving Jesus to himself. As Simeon gazed into the brand new eyes of the ancient of days, isn't that a marvelous phrase? Christ for him went from being God with us to God with me. Consolation has no real meaning until general truth takes on concrete personal dimensions. God with me is who Simeon was meeting that day. And right on the heels of Simeon comes Anna, who has been living at the temple since she was widowed as a young woman. Anna spreads the news that God's promise has been kept, 
and teaches us, reminds us that the good news is meant to be shared, that it grows as it is shared. And I'm still not convinced we know how to do that. The good news being shared from our mouths outside this building. I think we're pretty good inside the building. We get outside and we get a little intimidated. We're gonna talk about that in another minute, but just keep in mind that you have no problem sharing a great Netflix series that you think somebody should watch, or recommending that restaurant where you had a fabulous meal on Friday night, or maybe you know of a really great pair of comfortable shoes you want everybody to experience. So what do we do with good news when we share it? We'll put a pin in it for just a minute. Let's spend just a moment more on intelligent listening. It comes when we're waiting. And yes, I do know that Advent is over. Uh, Christmas Eve has passed. We're not waiting anymore. But I also know that a ton of people in my life, family and friends, are waiting for something as this new year begins. There is an aspect of their lives that feels like it's on hold. We talk about waiting in Advent, but we experience waiting around the clock, year round. What does that waiting matter? Is there a good way and a bad way? How did Simeon learn to wait well? I found a blog by Ann Voskamp, and I can't recommend her too much. I love her writing. She said, waiting is the art of a soul growing large. I love that. Waiting well is, as, is a way for our souls to expand. After I found her blog, she recommended the book, Just You Wait, which is also a song about Henry Higgins, but that's not what we're talking about here. The book title, Just Period, You Period, Wait Period. Tricia talks about waiting that is holy, and she says it's very much like growing a plant, that kind of holy waiting. Four steps. First, you water. In our case, you water with the word. Let's just be clear about how often we're spending time in scripture. You are watered with the word. You turn toward the sun, but spell it S-O-N. Number three, get all your nutrients from paying attention daily to the way God loves you instead of paying attention to the way life hurts you. And a lot of people had developed a wonderful practice at the beginning of a new year, just making a list at the end of each day of all the ways God's love was revealed in your path across that day. We get all our nutrients for paying attention daily to the way God loves us. And finally, stretching out your roots in a faith community. It is difficult to have that holy kind of waiting that enlarges our souls and be isolated from friends who also are living God with me lives. So community is a part of establishing those roots. Now let's go back to Anna running up and down the streets like crazy, spreading the good news. I think there's a little bias here because 
we know that both Anna and Simeon are advanced in age, but Luke doesn't tell us how old Simeon is, but he spills the beans and says Anna's 84. Why do we need to know how old she is and not how old Simeon is? Luke normally is a um, much more of a supporter of women, but I'm calling him on this one. <laughs> At the end of this service, we are going to sing my favorite Christmas song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And as you sing it with great gusto, how are you planning on telling it in 2024? What's that going to look like? How are we going to figure out a way to speak about God with me, to tell somebody about a scripture that we read or Russ's sermon last Sunday and something that really stuck with us out of that sermon? Maybe we just invite people to church. Why is all of that so hard? I think the missing ingredient is here in our text for today. I think it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the life of the church, the gift from Jesus that keeps on giving. And the Holy Spirit has a way of helping us find an authentic voice to be messengers of the good news. So I thought we could close this part of the sermon. You can't leave yet, but I thought we could close with a little prayer. Will you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and equip us, nudge us, encourage us, open doors for us to be messengers of God with me found in the form of Jesus Christ. Help us as a congregation to be enthused, to share the journey in real words with people who need to hear about you. Walk with us through this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.